podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Hello. We've got a special episode for you, the listener, today, but before we get to that, it is a book's highlight episode, by the way. I should probably, you know, put in a little foreshadowing, <laughs> a little uh, reference to what's to come. Let's do some social media plugs. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We are a book club podcast that posts once a week. We do book deep dives and also some recommendations in the feed, so if this is your first time, don't turn the dial, as they say, because you're in the exact right spot. This is actually a great episode to start with. If you want to follow us on social media, we've got some accounts that you can follow, and there are Facebook and Instagram accounts. They are both at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. We post updates about the books we're reading. There's some art and stuff that I've used to promote the book clubs and episodes and everything. So if you want to get a handle on our schedule or just see what we're up to, that is the best place, or the best places, I should say, to do so. Um, as I mentioned... If you're a first-time listener, you're in the perfect place. Again, I'll get to explaining why in a second. And if you're a long-time listener, then hopefully this can be an episode to help you kind of catch up or maybe plug some holes in your reading. Or, I'm just going to throw this out there, this is a great episode for just a bunch of reading ideas because Amanda and I today are going to be reviewing and sort of looking back on the previous six books we've done. I had to think of the number. I couldn't remember if it was five, six, seven. Anyway, (laughs) the most recent six books we've done, which technically in the count goes from book 13 to 18. The only kind of problem with that, the the numbers there, is that we don't label the episodes by number because I wanted to keep them searchable by title anyway. So yeah, if you're counting, it's 13 through 18. If you're not, and why should you be? It doesn't really matter the number, but we are going to go over some highlights from the previous six books. Does that all sound good, Amanda? Does that all sound correct? Sounds, yep, correct and good. Yeah, let's get some fact-checking on the scene. Research department, you want to you want to chime in on that one? Is that all is checking out? Are those facts true? Yes, I think. Okay, so. excellent. Thank you. We see you in the back, research department. <laughs> well funded as always. Just as a heads up, this will be covering all six of the as, as I mentioned previous books we've done, but we will not be spoiling them in depth. In fact, the point of today's episode, and maybe Amanda, you can chime in too on this, but the point is basically for readers or for listeners really who haven't read some of these or maybe any of them just to give a reading idea to so we're almost going to try and not persuade you but give a broad overview kind of talk about which books are compelling and why try and put them into some categories and just i don't know make a broad appeal would you phrase it that way how would you phrase it what we're doing yeah i like that it's um just in general just letting you guys know why it was it was great what stuck out struck out about it and uh that you should read with us yeah. Yeah. And the, the recommendations <laughs> we do are always under 30 minutes. So I think those are bite sized. People can go back. But mm-hmm. the book clubs themselves usually together over two hours, which I know is an investment. So I think some people rightfully want to know kind of more about would be and maybe should be reading. Um, yeah. With all that said, Amanda, are you ready? I'm ready. Gladiators ready. We should do an official, you know. <laughs> I don't know why we're modeling our book club podcast after. Talk about diametrically opposed forces there. The American yep. Gladiators and Book Clubs. Uh, I mean, but really. Are, are am, I, <laughs> I, am I the crossover? I'm the Venn diagram center, I think, and that's a, it's a thin sliver in the middle. All right, let's get to the books. We are going to start with Free Associations. This is a segment that Amanda chose. So actually, why don't you explain it, Amanda? What are the Free Associations? Oh. So it's just um, we choose a word, um, usually a noun, in order to whatever word pops up first when we think of that yeah. title or think of that book, and Great. we write it down and we'll immediately. Be, 
Yes, and, and if not, an we tweak it to be one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, in the past I've made yeah. the mistake most yeah. often of not doing nouns. But I can tweak them. And I think we're going to go in order of the books as we did them. So we're not going in order of preference or publication or anything specific like that. We're just going in order of the books as we read them on the pod. The first one up is going to be the novel Tracks by Louisa Erdrich. Amanda, why don't you start off? What's your association? Talk us through it. Uh, mine is Winter. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of imagery for that. And it's a very significant part of um, kind of the struggles that these characters go through. Um, and it's a lot happens during the winter. There's a starvation, but there's also like mystical things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, um, and even the, the chapters themselves, which are, are broken up by time as well as who the narrator is like most of them are at least half of them, I think are, are winter mm-hmm. based. Yeah. And so. my leads well into my word, which was hurt. I could also do pain. Hurt can be a noun, though, can't mm-hmm. it? I think it can. Like, I felt... Yeah, anyway. Sure. Yeah, Hurt is mine. It, it is a book that can be... It's not gratuitously brutal, but it is a kind of a novel of difficulty and survival and endurance. It's a book about Native American communities, I think, in the Dakotas, right? Or Montana? Yeah, I think it was the Dakotas, because she's from Dakota. Yeah. Gotcha. As they're just trying to endure, you know, the colonialism that's coming to them, the the oppressors from Europe who have arrived to make bad bargains on land and mm-hmm. push them out and everything. And so, yeah, winter, it's got a very wintry mood about it. That's for sure. Yeah. And the hurt, I think I just thought of, it's a, it's a story of loss in a lot of ways. There's some joy to it as well. And one of the characters, one of the point of view characters is quite funny and kind of dry and has a big heart, you know, big humor. But I think it's a novel with a lot of pain too. And it's not, it's certainly something you wouldn't want to go to, to be uplifted, but I think it's an incredible account. We'll get to our ratings at the end, but I think it did well in my ratings. So, mm-hmm. yep. All right. The next book we read was called Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom by Thomas E. Ricks. This is a nonfiction book, kind of a dual biography comparing these two politically opposite men. But the project was basically to say these people are opposites in terms of politics, but they both agreed on this idea of freedom and kind of liberal freedom, ideals, democracy. And so, yeah, it's basically trying to put them together in that you know, historical, ideological tradition. Amanda, what's your word for this one? Uh, I chose, I think, the more obvious, which is fascism, Mm -hmm. um, which is the thing that they were both against. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, obviously, like, with uh, the the thesis that was kind of presented in the text itself, it's um, even though they had never met and even though they um, were political opposites, although uh, Orwell did write several... Uh, little pieces about how he did admire Churchill's bullheadedness and, and his general mm-hmm. uh, way of handling politics. Um, the the real issue that they were fighting against was um, fascism across the globe and, and fighting it against uh, fighting against it in, in their own home and Orwell even fighting in Italy, Italy, Spain, Italy, right? It was in Spain. Spain. Okay. It was in Spain. Yeah. It was civil war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. No, it's it's an apt word for sure. Mine is war, and guess what? The war was against fascism. So <laughs> yeah. again, ours line up pretty well here. <laughs> I think I think I maybe skewed war because there are pretty long sections about Churchill's wartime behaviors, yeah. his tactical mind, strategy, the things he focused on and failed at. 
and I think, I don't know, do you think someone who doesn't care about or want to learn about war history could enjoy this? Yeah, because generally speaking, war war history is not what I, I would seek out. Um, but I found this mm-hmm. still a really great read. So even if, if yeah. the reader is not yeah. interested in, in, war, in the politics of war or in the history of war, there are other things in here. And the way that they present the information, too, is just is interesting. Or notably the strategy, because it's yeah. it is pretty judicious with that stuff. It's in there, but it it kind of compares well to the author's literary analysis, which is brief but sort of broadly effective. Yeah. I, I don't think I was blown away by any of it, but I also knew a good amount about Orwell before reading. So it was kind of I think for a lay reader, it would this book would actually teach a ton and is a pretty convincing project and sort of ma- mostly makes coherent, understandable and like. I don't know if they're that compelling in the end. I think mostly compelling arguments. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think you'd have to be that interested in the history of, but it is World War II focused, though. Yeah. So, a fair enough warning for sure. Mm-hmm. And kind of a brief book, too. Yeah. Was, I remember that one being kind of a quick one. It, it really history. was, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, on to the next book. It was Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. This is an autobiography, kind of a collection of essays, but it definitely is an autobiography of his life growing up in post-apartheid South Africa, kind of right after it ended. Though, he didn't he grow up on both sides of it? It was kind of a little bit during and then right after? Right, yeah. Yeah, his like, so. really young years were during, but then afterwards. Yes. Yeah. So right there on the line, fascinating times. Amanda, what's your association with this book? Not surprising, it's apartheid. Ah. <laughs> because um the way that he he wrote it it seemed like um the his life it, it's it's almost like sectioned off by by the the direct and indirect effects of apartheid even even after apartheid ended it was still affecting his life in South Africa so mm-hmm. i think that um if there were to be a kind of like thesis with this book it would be the the lasting effects of apartheid along with like the lasting effects of a mother's love. But you know, <laughs> yeah, you could have said mothers or motherhood, yeah. but I mean, apartheid is just so dominant too. Yeah. It's, it's clearly the force that determines so much of his life. And then, you know, partially probably motivated him to write this book right. to help people understand it a little more. Mm-hmm. My association was poverty. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a life of objective material poverty, but I think, the book is rich, especially in terms of like moral richness with his mother's character. Right. I, on the episodes, quibbled quite, quite effusively with maybe his own moral poverty or something. But I think that there is kind of a richness in spirit and liveliness. His mother makes for a fascinating kind of read and she's a fascinating person. But yeah, their life is defined by hardship. A lot of his anecdotes and stories were due to material poverty and the neighborhoods he grew up in, the places he was forced to live in. Some of his kind of young adult realizations came from trying to get out of poverty, trying to make it, you know, make something of himself. And so I think a lot of it is about how South Africa concocted this system to oppress certain groups, colored groups, and then the poverty that resulted. So I think I'm happy with my association. The book is definitely not a downtrodden book. He's trying to be humorous, whether it connects with you or not. Again, I'll leave that for our episode to kind of speak for itself. But yeah, it is not a downtrodden book of poverty, but it defines so much of it. Yep, I agree. Excellent. Okay. Next one is a short story collection with a touch of essays in it. Or was it? 
yeah, they were like <laughs> really yeah, hedging essays on this. ish, yeah. Yeah, or she included a lot of references to sort of academic topics. So anyway, it's a short story collection, we'll call it, called You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down, and it's by Alice Walker. Amanda, what's your association with this short story collection? Sex. Oh, goodness. I heard three E's in there. Is that a triple E sex, or how many X's? A lot. At least three. Oh, okay. Um, So not every story has sex in it. Um yeah, but the true. ones that really pop for me uh, or that like really stood out to me often did have sexual themes specifically about yeah. like um mm-hmm. uh, women's sexuality and and women's understanding of sex and stuff like that versus the male perception of sex and what they expect of like um their partners especially uh, because of the rise of pornography and stuff like that. So that was something that really struck me. And and the ideas of, yeah. I could have even said intimacy, because intimacy was a huge theme in in many of those stories as well, um, where not necessarily sex scenes, but just even like friendships and, and, um, and deep relationships too are pretty important. Yeah, it's the first book that we've really done somehow in our pretty long book club project here that really gets explicit with sexual encounters, which, and I think I don't want to misremember your opinions. I thought it was really well done for the most part. Some of it's outdated in odd ways. There's a story about pornography that's really fixated on magazine pornography. Obviously the internet did not exist when this was published, (laughs) or at least it existed in some lab in Caltech or wherever that was. But so it's some of it will feel a bit outdated, but the kind of emotional truths definitely rung rang true, yeah. right? Rang true, rang true, yeah, yeah. My one for this is feminism, which kind of an obvious theoretical lens to read it from. She's also pretty explicitly concerned with that, like ideological project, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I, I just I think this jumped out to me because some of the more dense or complicated short stories. Her characters are quoting kind of feminist texts, academic things, articles, researchers, scholars, philosophers, sociologists, whatever. And so I think it's not an academic reading book. I think there's just so much to mine from it other than just, you know, here's a couple of her almost you know, at some points like showing off. Here's all this research I know or, you know, here's these three names you should know or anyway. Right. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like it's bragging. But it is so much at the forefront that you really can't I don't I can't imagine you reading it through another lens or at least you could, of course, apply any lens to anything, but it's it definitely demands that you think about these issues. Also, a lot of the plots are about women being taken advantage of or perhaps abused or finding freedom mm-hmm. or escaping certain things, discovering certain things about themselves, their sexuality, relationships. I don't know. I could keep going on. So I just think that feminism is kind of the dominant way to read these. For sure. Even that. even with my word sex, it's it's meant to look at in particular like the the pitfalls of of how men view sex versus how women respond Mm -hmm. to sex so it's like it's definitely yeah you can't avoid it it's a feminist work it's meant to be a feminist work yeah totally totally so be aware of the uh things you're getting into before you read them that's for sure and you know jump in with the appropriate lens and it'll make the reading more rich i think think for it 
The next book we'll cover, My Favorite Thing is Monsters, is a graphic novel by Emil Ferris. It is the first graphic novel we've done on the podcast, and I will say, without spoiling the rankings at the ending, it was a resounding success. I think we both really liked it and were quite impressed and taken with it. Amanda, what was your free association for My Favorite Thing is Monsters? Identity, for sure. Um, That was just the the major theme for me that, that really popped, and... Uh, the main character is, you know, somebody growing up and and kind of struggling with with her own identity. And then there's also um, the mystery and the the identity of that that mysterious person that died. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like her her journey as well for her identity. And it's just it's something that and that seems to be a, ma- a major point that um the character the the writer rather the the artist is trying to make so gotcha yeah i really want to take identity and put it back with i don't know with another one anyway (laughs) i think that's a great word it's a perfect word for this one because it's yeah young protagonist she's trying to find herself she draws herself as a monster so you don't have to read deeply into that the symbolism or metaphor of that anyway uh, my free association is chicago Mm -hmm. i just realized as i said this that i didn't really do the plot setup for my favorite thing is monsters it is about a young girl living in 1960s chicago the political turmoils of that time including it gets into some civil rights era stuff at kind of towards the end of the book it's also a family drama about her mom trying to cling on she's a single mother and her relationship with her brother who is an artist and kind of a free spirit doesn't seem to have he is kind of a life for himself but doesn't have a is would you call him wayward yeah he's he's got issues um and he's significantly yeah. older than her too like he's an adult yeah and he lives at home yeah. still and so he's trying to it does seem like he has some things going on. He's a tattoo artist and also just an artist, but he, yeah, it doesn't seem to have a significant direction. And it's really about their family dynamic. Again, her trying to discover her identity. And then of course I'm bearing the lead horribly. It's a kind of a murder mystery because <laughs> her neighbor is killed. It's funny too. Cause you, you and I, who don't love that genre, we like described everything except the main plot. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm now thinking back on that. And it's just hilarious how we just did that. I literally talked about every aspect of this book, except for the, the, thing that yeah anyway it's a murder mystery story so her neighbor is killed they think uh they suspect some foul play and they think that somebody may have been involved so it is about her digging into her neighbor's history as well and trying to figure out who could have done that who could have been motivated to and sort of it it, i wouldn't say it's a detective story per se but it is top of mind for this young girl who's Mm -hmm. the narrator and chicago i i Maybe it's because I grew up around Chicago in the Midwest and have been there in the winter months, you know, and in the summer months when it's nicer. But this book has an intense pen and ink art style that's very, uh, the word, the harsh word that's going to sound negative, it's not as like over articulated, like it's very um, intensely drawn and the lines are really bold and very heavy. It's very heavily drawn. And so it just feels grimy, a lot of it. She also loves, again, monster stories and murder serials and horror stories. So she's the narrator. She is often translating her life events into horrifying, you know, imaginary things. So I said Chicago because I just... 
feel like it's a perfect artistic way to show kind of the grittiness and grime of Chicago, which, you know, it's like any major city. There can be flash to it, too, and yeah. it's got some amazing neighborhoods and really nice parts. But, you know, you go to Chicago in a January day, and even the nice parts are like, man, this place is just kind of dirty right now. It's mm-hmm. just kind of grim. It's cold. It's like, ugh. You know, it's just kind of dirty here. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely a book that made me feel like it was set in Chicago through its art, but it is it is about so much more and goes to so many places, too. Yeah, and I think that Chicago is important as far as, like, with the setting, yeah, it's in Chicago, but, like, the time period, too. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And so that time in Chicago with, like, when you think of Chicago back in, like, the whenever this was set, like, what, early 60s or, yeah, right, 60s? So mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, like, you think yeah. of, like, gangsters, like like real gangsters, like mafia types and stuff like that. So, um, so I think that the, it really, the, the idea of just like Chicago during that time really can set up for the reader, like what to kind of like expect as far as like the mood as you're reading it and the tone. Yeah, for sure. It's, at the end of the book, she meets a certain character and it does seem like the book wants to go big, in terms of its political ideas, I guess is how I would phrase it. But I don't, I, again, in in my first description of this story, I would not start there, but it's a very valid, I think I thought of Chicago more because of the art and the style and the mood it evokes. Yeah. But no, you're 100% right. It is also, it's seemingly increasingly concerned with the politics of the day. It literally, I, this isn't a spoiler, I guess it's a fact of history, right? But Martin Luther King Jr. is killed in the story yeah. in the back half of it. And there are some direct responses, you know, because of that event, yeah. because of that murder. And so, yeah, anyway, that's worth bringing up for sure. Okay, the final book we'll do free associations with, the sixth book, is The Gunslinger by Stephen King. This is a novel, kind of a post-apocalyptic Western novel that takes place in a place similar to Earth, but might not be, but maybe is. <laughs> if it is, it's not It's not entirely like our own, although it shares some similarities. Yep. And it's the first in a very long series called The Dark Tower. We just read the first book. We don't do series on the pod, um, but we can start them if we want, and Amanda, what was your free association with this King novel? Mine was Desert. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so it, he has to cross a literal desert, um, the main character, yeah. Roland. But also, the, I, the characters often suffer from feeling, uh, from being, like, barren. The women are barren in a lot of ways. And um, there's, like, this feeling of constantly being parched and like um because of that neediness because of that deprivation there's like when they can they over satiate themselves in ways so like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. like for roland like there's a lot of lust because i mean he's alone a lot of the time in the the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also for the women because they feel um empty as well then there's also like um, reactions to that but um, it's a very as, you, as you're reading it's, it's very much the setting is a wasteland is a desert but also the characters themselves are very much shaped by that too yeah Roland is kind of a haunted I don't know ghostly figure or something maybe yeah. that description ghostly feels too obvious but <laughs> it also feels fitting he just kind of drifts you know on his ambiguous mission yeah 
He does meet up with a, there's a younger character who shows up and accompanies him, and we're not here to spoil. We're just here to hint and tease and suggest, of course, but he does have a relationship with this young kid he meets up with that doesn't, um, doesn't involve lust per se, but it's, it is strange to think back now that when I think of that story, I always think of, yeah, emptiness, Mm -hmm. some violence, you know, bursts of violence, kind of a wandering aimlessness to it. But then, yeah, with the times he meets with people, there's some kind of succubus he meets with. Also, there's a woman he stays with in a town. So it's, it does have those intense bursts. I, my association was decay. And then I thought if that wasn't a noun, I would just say old, though old is an adjective and decay is a noun. So I'm sticking with my decay, (laughs) which was my first thought. The the world it's in is probably the most fascinating part of it. It really doesn't have much of a plot going for yeah. it, but King does work hard, I think, and does some pretty interesting stuff. Establishing the world, making teasing things out slowly, making you wonder, making you care about, maybe not care about the characters in terms of their personalities, because they're quite muted, but more care about, like just the mechanics of how this all happened. If it's really Earth, then what's going on? Right. Where is this? Who Who's living here and why? And yeah, it has just kind of a rotted feeling, the whole thing. I think, I haven't read much King, and as you've known, because we've done it on the pod, the only things I've read of his were for this purpose, for this podcast. And I, I remain pretty impressed when he sets off to do some descriptions, he can really get into it. And I think he was pretty inspired to go Haunted West, Decaying Death Western or something, some kind of combo of those two motifs or genres. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like a decay, you know, story of decay, death and rot but then it's got those western tropes too mm-hmm. so i think a pretty interesting read on the whole any thoughts on the decay of it i think that that's perfect it also fits in with the idea of the desert where things are just they're dying away <laughs> there's there's not a whole yeah, lot of yeah. life on this planet uh for sure in a lot of ways so <laughs> King does seem like an author, my brief knowledge of him, of course, but that will let himself ramble and kind of roll with things and pursue them mm-hmm. if it, if that's where his interest is, you know, his literary mind. And I think in this, he set off to, yeah, like describe a desert type wasteland, get into some Western tropes. And I think mostly it worked out. I also don't have a special place for Westerns in my heart. I don't really care about them. So I didn't find it to be a good or bad version. Maybe some people would find it cliched or something, but I enjoyed it. It's just not a genre I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let's move into the this or that segment. This is the segment that we use to compare some books against each other and try and slot them into some kind of like genre descriptions or recommendations just to make it clearer how we felt about them sort of emotionally or again categorically let's just jump into it it'll make sense as we do it the first this or that we're going to do amanda is this should be a book you'd bring to a beach or that would be a book to study in class so which one is going to be your beach book which one is your class study book uh my beach book would be my favorite thing is monsters because i think of beach books as something that you take specifically to enjoy um and to just kind of like relax with and i think that it's a fast read despite it being a humongous book. Um, and it was mm-hmm, just such mm-hmm. a pleasure too, because of all the pictures. So th- I think that's nice. Um, and then Definitely. a book to study, I would say is you can't keep a good woman down. Um, there's just a lot of uh, feminist ideals and also allusions to other feminist writers that could really lead yeah. you to um, kind of a deep dive study if you wanted to. I mean, it's built right in. Yeah. She alludes to directly scholarship ideas, you know, histories of thinking. The porn story, I feel like, has a couple in it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it the other one, the abortion story, that yeah. has a lot of those references? Yeah. 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 Lots of that in there. So that's a natural pick. For my beach pick, I chose Born a Crime. 
it is so it's in the category of humor i don't know how many more times i'll have to say it on this episode but i didn't find it funny or well written but i think for most people who are just looking for a lighter entertainment based read i mean that's the what he was doing with that book so and i also think it's the essays read or sorry the sections or chapters read kind of like essays and you can jump in and out pretty lightly and you know it's all pretty breezy and easy to read so i just think it's such a natural fit for the beach you know come and go as you please it's pretty light stuff and thematically and um content wise it does get heavy but also the writing always stays pretty light and easy so And then for study, I chose Tracks, which I was drawn to immediately. I think your pick's really solid. Obviously, with Native American history, there's infinite paths you could go down trying to study it, understand it, understand the intersections between those groups and European groups. And I don't know, there's a million things you could do with it. And I just think Tracks, the way it, it also incorporates a lot of things with religion, and then there's some hints about the U.S. government and some property ownership things and I don't know. I feel like you could really dig in formally, um, let alone or not not even to mention sort of the the way the Native American tribe functions in it, the social connections between people, the informal social relationships. I don't know. I know I'm being vague, but it just feels like there's just so many different ideas you could pursue in that book. And it has two narrators. So there's two different point of views, which I think lends itself well to some additional thinking and study and everything. So that one felt dense to me. It, yeah, I, I think that there could be a lot to study with that. It's especially if you're not used to reading um, Native American literature or about uh, or yeah. literature that deals directly with the effects of, of U.S. colonialism. <laughs> so Definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Let's do the next this or that. Uh, let's do a book to cheer you up or a book to help you mope. So some different... Different emotional states here. And you can start first, Amanda. Um, to cheer me up, I said Born a Crime. Um, because they're... Boo! <laughs> no, sorry, I had because to. They're... I had to do at least one, one time on the pod something. I had to do some petty things. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> some childish things. Well, it's, it's a very, very light read. Like, you can you can zip right through it. Um, yeah, but yeah, also, yeah. like, there are some humorous parts to it. Um, a couple of humorous stories, like the Hitler story. Yeah. Um, but an what? odd sentence to be sure but yeah that's true <laughs> that is true without any context just trust her that she is telling the truth <laughs> um but uh the the real thing that i think would would cheer me up is just the the reverence for his mother and like the his yeah, mother as yeah. a person so reading about her is what really just kind of like lifted my spirits like she's she's such a great yeah person i don't want to say character because she's a real person but like yeah she like that it's a great her, his yeah. portrayal of her throughout is is what would really just kind of like make me feel good 100 percent. yeah and for moping oh yeah and for moping i said tracks i love tracks so much yeah, yeah. um but definitely there's a lot in there that like you said would be for study but for me it's like it's a lot of stuff that um, would make you think and the things that you think about are like the failures specifically of the u.s government which can really bring you down <laughs> would bring or bring mm-hmm. me down rather i guess um yeah, so yeah. that's why i would say to mope um just thinking about like man there's a lot of things that we need to fix yeah certainly i it is it is a good point and i would not quibble with this tracks is an intense read for sure one of the early chapters in it has an incredibly 
I was going to say depraved. It's not, the act is depraved, but the descriptions are just really aggressive and intense. Yeah. Um, a sexual assault that had, and so there's just it it opens intensely, maintains a certain intensity, and and it's not a story of triumph. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, we can certainly read the ending and did in some different ways, but it's not a yeah, it's not uplifting per se. It I think it has some genuine kind of profound humanity to it but you're right I, I, I would not quibble with that category for sure yeah. for tracks for my cheer up book I'm going with my favorite thing is monsters now this is I'm going to say I've done an unfair thing I'm putting it in that category for a 100% extra textual reason which is I don't know how you could not flip page to page and just be in total awe of the excellence on display, mm-hmm. the artistic mastery, the tonal control, the intrigue that's generated with artwork that rich and it kind of, I don't know, beguiling or something. And so I just think you have to be cheered up because of mastery, because you're seeing a master produce something. <laughs> but I don't, the story itself will not cheer you up, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I think I the think story it's... itself could help you mope. But <laughs> Yeah, but... no, and that's why I'm saying it's like I'm going totally outside of the text for this reason to cheer yeah. up. I just felt impressed every time and it's it doesn't it's not beholden to a lot of the graphic novel panel type strict you know comic book style panel type formatting and so that means that a lot of the pages are bursting just literally you just it's we talked about this on the episode i know but it's as if when you turn the page you just have to brace yourself for something new you just never quite know what's gonna await you so i don't know i felt cheered up seeing that but that's just about its excellence i you're right the story is is not going to help you cheer up at all (laughs) like at all (laughs) so i'm baiting the reader there the listeners there my mope story then um, to help you mope was the gunslinger which I feel like is the natural fit here, though tracks, again, excellent pick on that, wouldn't argue. The Gunslinger is just such a meandering, the character is so listless, the story is just so grim, and it's clear that all the best things are in the past. The main character is pursuing this revenge and doesn't seem to know why or doesn't care. He just kind of is doing it to do it. (laughs) Though, you know, motivations are teased out later. It doesn't have deep relationships. The character development is just whatever. It's a total mood piece to me. It really is. And setting, you know, it's just an intriguing read for this really devastated place. So I think it... It didn't give me much to latch on to, which I'm okay with because I think it had a different ambition or a different goal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it just would help somebody who's feeling a little down just to go to a world that's just rotten. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I think that the the mood, the what King is trying to do with this book of introducing uh, Roland's kind of mentality and, and setting it up for like what his revenge is really about which I think is probably going to be developed later in the series. I think that, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is great for just, especially because we were talking about barren and desert and decay. It's all these sad ideas of lifelessness, of loss. So mm-hmm, definitely yeah. a great book for moping. Yeah, I think so. The final this or that category that we will do is going to be a book you would reread or a book that inspires you to read other books or do some research, basically. Um, you can also amend that category to be a book you wish were longer or had more in it. So the first one, reread, but the second one, I'll leave up to your interpretation. So take it away. Yeah, so um, for the reread, I said my favorite thing is Monsters because it's, mm-hmm. it's just an amazing, amazing book um, on every level. Um 
obviously. And and also we're looking forward to the sequel whenever that comes out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're going to put that onto the universe again? Yeah. It's coming back then. It's going to happen. You're going to make it happen. I yeah. trust. Come on. Um, so that was my obvious reread. Um, for reading other books, I said Gunslinger because it it is meant to kind of, I think, draw you into the rest of the series. And, it, and for me, it definitely does. Um, so that's, Mm -hmm. that's, I'm going to dive back into the series for that and to read more, like you wish had more in it or, you know, was a little bit longer. I'm going to say Churchill and Orwell, um, just because like he, he wrote a thesis, but there was like so much of Churchill in it that I, I kind of wish that there was more discussion of Orwell in it. Um, and, and I think that he, he proves his thesis, but I would have liked to have seen more connections between Churchill and Orwell um, in other ways too. Yeah, for sure. It's weird. We align on this one. So for my reread, I put monsters because drumroll, I have gone back and looked at panels of this without any motivation from the podcast, without any external, you know, push, (laughs) which is rare for me for sure. And I have not reread whole chunks or sections or even the book as listeners probably know by now, or you definitely know, new listeners, I'll clue you into this. I don't like rereading things and almost never do. I'll go back to sections, parts, maybe a quote or something, a page, but I definitely don't revisit things because I'm a, I'm a literary shark. I just can't, I just have to move ahead. I don't I can't <laughs> convince myself to like slow down and go back anyway. So I had to pick monsters out of honesty. Like I have actually gone back to certain parts to remind myself of an image or a section or like how a couple panels played. And it's also just so well made and reads very quickly as a lot of graphic novels do. So that's such a good pick for reread, Mm -hmm. honestly for longer more. I also put Churchill and Orwell. The Orwell stuff to me felt shallow, but I did come in with a pretty heavy bias and background in that. I mean, I took one college class. I'm not some mega scholar genius, you know, amateur, Mm -hmm. but even that felt like I had outstripped what the the book could offer me in terms of Orwell perspective. Now for a different reader, they might not care. They might not know a lick about him and just think this is interesting. And you do get some nice anecdotes. I was thinking the longer or more would be for Orwell's literary analysis, which every Mm -hmm. time that happened felt okay. I didn't I don't think I disagreed with any of his literary takes per se, but I also was left wanting more maybe a more in-depth discussion. He's very content the author to summarize things for you and to kind of keep the pace up. Right. So, I think yeah, I think exploring more Orwell on your own after reading would be smart. Maybe read some of his his books, his intriguing stuff. And yeah, I just think, and frankly, like the more or longer thing, I I wouldn't mind reading a little more about Churchill, maybe his early life. He had kind of an uproarious, wild, he was trying to become famous by going to a war. And so I don't know, he had some (laughs) intriguing things in his youth. His dad was a prick, you know, and hated him. And so there's some early Orwell. I don't think I want any more wartime stuff. I think I've maxed out in my lifetime on that stuff, but I could use a little more early Churchill maybe. So yeah, I think that's a good pick for more. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Let's move now to a well, second to last segment. It's going to be a celebration of sorts where we can crown some, some, I was just saying kings or queens. That feels like an odd metaphor. Give some <laughs> awards. Let's give some awards. <laughs> we're not, we're not promoting monarchies here. We're just going to award <laughs> things that we thought worked well. We have some quotes pulled just to celebrate some pros and some 
things from the books we read. Let's do some best in categories. So the first quote that we will celebrate, each of us has picked one, which is a best or most memorable image. I could also just say most memorable moment Mm -hmm. or detail, I guess. Amanda, do you have one prepared that you want to discuss? Or you can read it. Either is fine. Yeah. I'm fine with you. Yeah. So... (laughs) Obviously, we we had a graphic novel. So with the graphic, I I did one that was graphic novel, like actual image versus a text-based one. So for the actual image, um, the scene where Karen, who is the the narrator, when um, when she actually draws her human form rather than her monster form, is something that really struck me at the time and is probably the image that pops up um the most for me when i think of the book um yeah yeah and um as far as like the text-based one um is tracks for me um and this is from page 222 and 223 it's when floor cuts all the trees and they all fall around her home simultaneously and she's just standing in front of her home and she's Mm -hmm, really defiant in her stance and just like smiling i can i can read it real quick um Um, the men spun in, spun in surprise when the first tree crashed down beyond sight. Someone laughed nervously. Another commented in rude tones. And then there was a brief cessation among them. They listened. Flora's hair ruffled and the hide across the fire flapped. Another tree, a large one, pitched loud and long closer to where we stood. The earth jumped and the shudder plucked nerves in the bodies of the men who milled about, whining softly to each other like nervous cattle. They bit their lips, glanced over their shoulders at Fleur, who bared her teeth in a wide smile that frightened even those who did not understand the smiles of pillagers. Um, Anyway, and then it goes on to talk about the rest of the trees falling down around her. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's quite a potent moment. Very symbolic. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I loved Fleur. Fleur is the, um, Mm -hmm. she's not a narrator, but she's, like the main character um, in the book for sure. And yeah. um, the, the, the power and also the mysteriousness and the fear that people have for her. is just in her connection to nature, all of that. And just that one scene. And I, that's something that really struck me about reading this book. And, and, and I loved this book too. So. Yeah, for sure. I think for my most memorable image or moment, I also chose just things from monsters. <laughs> and I do feel like without with it being a graphic novel, I think at this point, listeners, you'll just have to take our word that it's amazing. And if you even have a passing interest <laughs> in graphic novels, it's just you just have to get yeah, it. I don't, so good. <laughs> I don't think we can make the case any more strongly than we have. So I'm, I'm going to do mine from the pros then from the gunslinger, which I thought had a some forgettable moments and really is kind of an odd novel, but had a really intense scene where there's a fight that happens with a hawk involved. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pull some quotes from that because it had some quite memorable images, uh, imagery rather. Still, Court was almost too quick for him. The bird had covered 90% of his vision, but the ironwood staff came up again, spatula end forward, and Court cold-bloodly performed the only action that could turn events at that point. He beat his own face three times, biceps flexing mercilessly. David fell away, the hawk, broken and twisted. One wing flapped frenetically at the ground. His cold predator's eyes stared fiercely into the teacher's bloody, streaming face. Court's bad eye now bulged blindly from its socket. The boy delivered a kick to Court's temple, connecting solidly. It should have ended it, but it did not. For a moment, Court's face went slack, and then he lunged, grabbing for the boy's foot. Court was ready to fall on him and finish it. Roland had lost his advantage, and both of them knew it. 
For a moment, they looked at each other, the teacher standing over the people with gouts of blood pouring from the left side of his face, the bad eye now closed except for a thin slit of white. There would be no brothels for court that night. We'll end on a very king image of a man not getting to go to a brothel because his eye got torn out by a fox or, uh, sorry, a falcon. Yeah. <laughs> Just a very, yeah, c- quite a king moment there. Lots of sexual things packed into some violence. Yep. Those are two things that I think he is interested in. <laughs> the interplay of those. Anyway, yeah, it's it's a brutal scene for sure, but I think it's emblematic of the book's I don't know, themes and project and everything. And it stood out. And I think I also just liked a lot of the gunslinger moments when he reflect role in the main character thought back on his life. I thought I liked that world building. I thought it worked well. Yeah. So that's my image. Yeah. It's um, a moment. I think that's a great one because the, the memories that he has has um, when he was a youth growing up, it's so rich and vibrant, especially in comparison to the world that he's crossing in the present. Um, which I think just highlights the the loneliness that he feels now versus when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that the Falcon image was brutal, but also like really well done. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the best character or person moment, just in case you want it to come from a nonfiction book. This is any quote or moment that you think showed a character or person's, I don't know, best, most interesting. It could also be for negative reasons, but maybe for its intensity or or something similar. And why don't you start again? I mean, I'm just going to keep putting it on you today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, for best character um, uh, or person moment, I actually chose from um, my favorite thing is monsters is when Frank goes to the museum with Karen. Uh, Frank is a friend of hers from school and he's explaining about how the artist's treatment of fashion indicates the author's, the, the artist's feelings um, and he just really gets into it and is like, oh, yeah, shirt, like, oh, yeah, she's got, like, the, the fluff around her, her bracelet there. That's just, mm, look at that attitude. Like, it was just, I loved that character development there because he's otherwise very stoic. But analyzing the fashion of these <laughs> these women from, like, the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century is, like, Mm-hmm. Yeah. the passion that he puts into it i just i really loved that and i loved how much uh how much i learned about that character from just those few pictures yeah the we did we obviously in this episode or in these highlights episodes don't get into the plot thematic story details whatever but it is worth pointing out that monsters loves the story i mean loves classic artwork and really weaves it into the story mm-hmm. the characters relate a lot to art and have kind of transformative moments with art so fitting enough i think yeah excellent i chose my best character moment from tracks it has so many has it's rich in character for sure, for sure. Uh, one of the point of view characters a significant part of her story is sort of a devolution she goes through where she pushes away from the native american background in history she has and converts into christianity and thinks that she's a saint alive and believes begins to believe that that is kind of her destiny really any moment when that starts to when the story ends you could pick any page because her her track i guess her, her character track at that point is just so riveting at least i felt it was it's quite intense too the quote i'm about to read is intense for sure 
but it is the whole thing is just riveting and the thing she goes through and believes that her transformations in herself and her relationships anyway so anything with her would would work well i, I just forgot her name too i was gonna call her floor pauline is it pauline there we go thank you you're welcome you know like saint paul <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh anyway so this is the quote for me uh, very end of on page of a chapter on page 164 I laughed Machi Manito, then walked the trail down to the convent where I arrived in time to lose myself in God's tasks. That morning, shattering ice from the buckets in the kitchen, I scraped my hand raw, but I continued to smash my fist into the water until the water told the story, turned faintly bloody, and someone, superior I think it was, appeared at my side and held my fingers still in hers. She led me from the stove, dabbed my hand clean, and wrapped it in a cloth. Go back to sleep, she said, even a saint must rest. So many great little lines. We know that, you know, Erdrick has just such a way with words and can pull it in when she needs to and then dish it out when she needs to. And the water telling the tale is an incredible fusion of her, you know, bloody Christian sacrifice, but also kind of the whole Native American project here. They're trying to cling on to their stories and their past and everything. So that's a kind of a brutal little juxtaposed thing there. But I don't know. It's just it's intense. It shows her relentless pursuit of this thing, this gold that she finds kind of suddenly and kind of ambiguously to my memory, though there's some moments building to it. And I, yeah, so much of Pauline's second half could be quoted. It's it's not uplifting. It's pretty brutal at times. She alienates herself from others, but seeing her attempt take to take on sainthood in a really misguided, rather insane attempt yeah. is just... Yeah, I don't know. And without spoiling anything, I mean, that scene's innocuous. I didn't even explain why she was having that reaction and, and you know, hurting herself. But the final thing she does in the story is has, has a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot you could read into it, for sure. Mm. So she's a, she's a fascinating yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. A good example, too. Because I do feel like in the book club realm, in what I would call the light, I mean, we're amateur literary analysts here. We are not paid and we're not, you know, high-minded critics, so to speak. But in the kind of for fun book club world, the book sphere that isn't professionalized, whatever, the, the fun amateur version, there's just, for me, maybe a little too much talk about people leading with, I didn't like the characters, I didn't connect to the characters. Pauline is just an amazing case study in how books can be so fascinating and rich and you don't have to like or connect with the characters. <laughs> Authors can accomplish so much more beyond those two, you know, reactions or descriptions of your relationship to a character. Yep. So anyway, a little rant there for you. It wouldn't be an episode if I didn't rant about some random thing. <laughs> but I just think I always hear those two leading criticisms of a book and I just think surely we can give authors more leeway than that. Pauline is a great case study for that. Great case study. Yeah. I personally don't, I would not want to be somebody who hangs out with Pauline, but her character is really well done. And, and yeah. yeah. I didn't like her at all. Yeah. I, I didn't want her to win at all, but it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it's just still, her scenes were just so, I don't know, enchanting in a, in a negative way, yeah. in a horrifying way. All right. The final best in quotes category we'll do today will be the most likely quote or moment that could be turned into an internet meme, because we do like to connect to the youth culture out there, all zero of you listening, I'm sure, <laughs> who are like under 18. <laughs> you know, who knows? I, I shouldn't say such things. Anyway. Or you could interpret this to be most similar to a current internet meme or trend or something. So what do you got for this one? Um, I, I just realized that a lot, like all of these have something to do with either 
monsters or with um, tracks, but mine is about tracks again. And it is about Pauline's mm-hmm. fanaticism. Specifically, um, I chose the scene where um, she is proving that God is just as powerful as uh, the Native American rituals and even more so because she doesn't need to prepare for it her faith alone is what uh, makes her stronger than others so this is from page 190 and um she uh we moved away from the fire and gave pauline her wish she prayed loudly in catholic latin then plunged her hands unprepared by the crushed roots and marrows of plants into the boiling water She lowered them farther and kept them there. Her eyes rolled back into her skull and the skin around her cheeks stretched so tight and thin it nearly split. If she opened her mouth, I thought, pure steam might blast into the air. Moments passed, then she shrieked, jumped. She clawed straight through the flimsy tent walls, scattering the willow poles, collapsing the blankets and skins around us all. Then she ran by the light of her scalded arms and followed the dark path back to town. It's kind of a brutal scene, but also it's kind of like yeah, comically yeah. written as far as like the imagery being used. The steam, like he imagined her like a, a, a kettle, right? Like steam coming out of her mouth yeah. and she's running back to town by the light of her scalded arms in the moonlight. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of comic. It's almost like a comic image. Um, and it's meant to kind of make fun of her fanaticism there. So I think that oh, yeah, as yeah. far as like meme... Uh, status like anybody who's you know just a super fanatic and is like no you're wrong because i have faith in this and just like acting on that faith blindly yeah (laughs) we could use more internet memes about kind of not trollish behavior but adherent allegiance based sort of ridiculous behavior i'm on board with this I could. I think we could use more of that. Um, yeah, I think that's a great thing. <laughs> An intense thing for a meme to be, but again, there's such a funny. There is a funny construction there, and the book I think does not want to us to sympathize with her much, and does tease her at times. Oh, yeah. The book too. I mean, the characters do, but I even think the way it's you know written and everything, the book does that. And so yeah, I think there's a funny way you could draw that scene. For her, sure. you know, like you said, running off into the sunset, steaming. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny. I'm going to give my most memeable moment to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. It is the Hitler moment. I'm not sure which quote I should read from this. (laughs) There's so many. It's a a long story. But I'm just going to read the setup or how I imagine the meme. This paragraph from 193 says, "When, um, When Bangani and I put together a routine for our dance crew, there was no question who was going to be the star attraction. We built the whole set around Hitler. I'd warm the crowd up with a few songs, then the dancers would come out and do a couple numbers. Once they'd gotten the party started, they'd fan out to form a semicircle around the stage with a gap in the back for Hitler to enter. I'd crank up Redman's Let's Get Dirty and start whipping the crowd up even more. Are you ready? I can't hear you. Let me hear you make some noise. People would start screaming, and Hitler would jump into the middle of the semicircle, and the crowd would lose it. Hitler would do his thing while the guys circled around him, shouting him on, Go Hitler, go Hitler, (laughs) and then I'll pause there. This, of course, leads to a moment later in that story where they take their Go Hitler routine to a Jewish school, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that the is that yep. right? It was at least a religious school. I'm pretty sure it was Jewish. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a big snafu. And the setup to that, I should probably say and preface it, um, he makes a point, Trevor Noah, to point out that a lot of people who want to name their kids in South Africa after, you know, quote unquote, Western European names, they don't really bother to 
understand where they came from they just hear the common names and then just pick them so hitler for example he points out was kind of a not a common name but he's heard it and seen it used just because hitler's such a massively referenced name in history and people don't don't maybe not fully understand what he did or what he's known for so it's it's just kind of one of those blanket names somebody looks at and thinks i've heard that before you know whatever i don't really get it but that's fine so that's kind of the cultural exchange of it but yeah it results in a an intense uh, you know comic moment of confusion cultural translation yep <laughs> it's a good scene too. and he, it it would make for a good meme mm-hmm. it could be a meme that would be used just to show complete misunderstanding when you think you know you're somebody gives you direction a and you ter- interpret it to be the opposite of a or whatever it i think it could make for a decent meme because of the just missed crossed cultural wires i think it's a worthy it would be worthy of like a meme joke you know i think so Excellent. All right. So those are some quotes to give you a better sense of some of the books. And we got in plenty of tracks in Monsters Time. And for me, that's all that matters, <laughs> which I'm about to spoil because we're going to get into the rankings. <laughs> let's uh, let's conclude the highlights episode here by doing our rankings. This is where we take our own personal rankings of these six books. We'll say a couple more brief things about them, but we'll try not to be too long winded. We like to keep these highlights to about an hour. And we will also compare our rankings against Goodreads, which is probably the biggest Internet database for readers to you know rank and review books and say what they liked or didn't about them so we use their system or database because it has a massive number of users and reviews we'll go goodreads first amanda and then you and i can just tag in along the way if that makes sense so here we go (laughs) (laughs) the number one goodreads book with a bullet and the number one book of the entire podcast so far is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which is a 4.45 rating out of 5 stars, with 506,000 reviews. <laughs> so, we'll just leave it. What, 10 seconds of silence? What do you want to do? 20 <laughs> seconds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. any, any thoughts um, or feelings about that one, Amanda? I, I very vehemently disagree. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Just no. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, there's two things I'll say. Uh, I really did not like that book. And I can say this for certain. It is not well written. Uh, that much I would definitely stake a claim on. Whether people like it or don't is a completely d- other matter. And I'll leave our book review and, re- and clubs, recommendations, whatever. We have three episodes about Born a Crime. You should just go listen to those if you're curious. I think listen to the recommendation before you actually read it because we do a good job laying out what it's like to read it. I don't... It's a story that deserved to be told. I said that a bunch on those episodes. He's had a fascinating life. Whether that means he's an author worth reading is a completely different story and a completely different matter to me, frankly. It's the it's the volume and the ranking that, yeah, just bring me down. I'll say this to it. I think, and I know I mentioned this, I think, in our second Highlights episode, I think our podcast might just thrive in the three, uh, three range mm-hmm. because it's become clear... 
and who knows why we're even doing this at this point then, but, <laughs> but it's become clear that our opinions, our literary tastes, and the sort of book reading public Goodreads again is the best possible data we could get on this. You could not get more data on a book. There's no other website or online retailer or whomever who has this many rankings, reviews, whatever. But it's pretty clear that our opinions in the book reading public just don't hold up all that well. There's some overlap for sure, and I think a good amount of shared respect for certain things. But the books that have like catapulted to the front, like this one and Evelyn Hugo, I just think there's a you reach a critical mass. And something, the books that can be liked and beloved by that many people just might not be the books that we like and love. Yeah. Evelyn Hugo, I, I, I enjoyed more than Born a Crime, I will say. Me too. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, 100% me too. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say much more about it. Uh, we'll get to it at the, perhaps the bottom of my rankings, but I, yeah, there, I just think we, we... I certainly went into enough detail throughout the episodes we already recorded. I don't know what saying all my, you know, regurgitating all my arguments and points about it would do here. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just not looking to get that detailed. But I certainly, do, like you said, vehemently disagree with that, <laughs> where that's positioned. My number one for this set of books is My Favorite Thing is Monsters. Amanda, what's yours? The same. My Favorite Thing is Monsters. It's, how could it not yeah. be? How could it not be? <laughs> yeah, I think... You know, there are those who kind of balk or get nervous around graphic novels. To them, I say, fair enough. I did too once, but it's a rich medium that has a lot more going on than superhero comics. And this is just this person's life's work. I don't know. This just feels when you open and flip the pages, you just will wonder at its splendor and intrigue. The murder mystery stuff, I think, is frankly just fine. It's not bad, I don't think. I'm not really one for the tropes. But there's even within that story, when she investigates her neighbor's life, she uncovers some fascinating things. Again, it's all tangled up in identity and just the page to page inventiveness of it can't be can't be undersold. Yeah, it's and it's just such a beautiful work, like the the artistry that went into this. Like we mentioned before that there's a lot of um, fine arts that are alluded to. Uh, There's she draws these paintings and then reimagined these paintings with different characters inserted into them. And it's just, I mean, it's amazing the the skill with which she drew everything. um, Yeah. Just from an art perspective, it is, it is beautifully done. Yeah. And I, the only final thought I'd like to give now that I'm hearing our responses to it, I don't want listeners to leave this thinking. It sounds like the art's cool and maybe even incredible, but is the story interesting? I just want to say again, it has great character work. The narrator is charming and odd and really interesting. Mm-hmm. Her family dynamics are pretty much all fascinating, and it has some richness and complexity. Her, the side characters along the way are so memorably drawn and intriguing. The way she... It's just the whole thing is rich. I, I feel like a lot of what I've said today anyway, and you've leaned into this too, is just kind of like... The art is virtuoso quality. Like, why aren't you want? Why don't you want to look at this art? (laughs) But you know, even if you're someone who's thinking, I'm not going to respond to cool art pictures. I want a story. It definitely delivers that. I don't think it matches. You know, for some reason we were arbitrarily comparing them. Yeah, the art I think is of a more excellent, you know, truly outstanding quality than maybe the storytelling. But the storytelling is great. It's not even just good. It's like great storytelling. And the the character development, not just the main character, but even the characters, like one of my favorite characters is a minor character that shows up 
just a couple of times, but his character development, yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. He's he's a rich character despite not being somebody who is shown throughout the the graphic novel. Yeah. So, yeah, the character totally. work in here is just amazing. Yeah, that's my final word on that one. That is also Goodreads ranking number two. So My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Mel Ferris, number two on theirs with a 4.21 out of five, and that's 18,000 people. The disparity alone, don't care about the number, but the, from, to go from 506 to 18,000, yeah. that's the heartbreaker. Yeah. That's, when you see the, that's when you see the economics, even though it's not economics, it is. It's like you just see those sales numbers without seeing them, and that, that's what hurts. Yeah. My number two, then, to jump to ours quickly, is tracks. And how about for yours, Amanda? Also tracks. <laughs> yeah, tracks is incredible. It's, you know, it's layered. It's kind of tough when it needs to be, brutal when it needs to be, but it's... You know, it, it maybe asks more questions than it answers, perhaps, but even that I think is a compliment for the stories we like to read. Yeah, and I think the Erdrich's way of describing the setting and describing the characters mm-hmm. is so unique and it's and it's just beautifully written and, and it's full of imagery and these great comparisons that you wouldn't think about. It's just a really richly written piece of work that I I think about yeah. quite often, actually. And I think it's it's one where I can say this about it. I'm just trying to think of new final insights here as we wrap up, but it's I will say that it's presents the kind of colonization of Native American lands and everything in, in about as hands-off a way as you can do while still being about that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's not... There are no characters in this story who come in and they are brutal, white European taskmaster, dominate, violence, all... It's it's so much more interested in the Native American experience and reactions, and it veers off into all kinds of more subtle places than that, yeah. is what I'll say. Yeah. It's, not, it's not sort of playing with a lot of those same archetypes or ideas, or even, we would say, stereotypes of sort of, here's the you know here's the the crafty conniving evil you know person coming to steal the land it's just so it's just a different portrayal yeah. and so yeah i thought it was excellent tracks mm-hmm. it could have been my number one but monsters just the yeah i don't know the art puts it over the top for sure yeah number three on goodreads rankings is churchill and orwell the fight for freedom with a 4.04 and that's four thousand reviews not very many reviews on that one um <laughs> any thoughts on that being number three Seems fine to me. Yeah. This is a three, number three, whatever. Yeah, yeah. it's a good read. It's fine. Yeah. And I think it makes its thesis pretty, or it supports its thesis pretty compellingly. Yeah. Definitely for a casual reader of these men, I don't think anyone's going to quibble, you know? Mm-hmm. The the history work that was done was solid, if not mind-blowing. So, yeah, not a bad one. My number three was The Gunslinger by Stephen King. And for yours, Amanda? Also Gunslinger. We've never aligned this way. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we've ranked him so similarly. Well, what do you think about the gunslinger then? Why why three? Um, it's an odd one. It it is an odd one, but um, I just I really enjoy Stephen King's uh, way of of writing and creating a particular mood. It's just I mean he's great at setting at setting mm-hmm. just the. The descriptions, everything is is kind of purposefully chosen, and it all fits in to develop this one overarching idea of like Roland's obsession and the the way that it's consuming him, the way that the world kind of like is is dying and everything, and and Roland is the only thing that's keeping him alive is his revenge, and it's just I just yeah. love that. I love and and I enjoy 
watching spaghetti westerns and stuff like that. So reading this, it's like, you know, I uh, gotcha. You kind of you know, scratch my, my itch there, but like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I thought it was well. It's funny to say, I have two things to say about this and they're kind of be a kind of funny contrast. It's a book that such does such obvious world building, but tantalizes it. It makes so much sense that this went on to be a huge book series of, I don't know, 5,000 pages or something yeah. by the end of it. And I can say that, and then in the same breath, I'm going to say, and I don't think I'm going to keep going with it. I don't, it's it's interesting, because it, maybe it's just the commitment, and I'm scared of committing to that many books or something. Mm-hmm. But it it's clearly set, had such an epic scope. It is a really fascinating glimpse into what's clearly going to be a developed world with a big literary project behind it. I just found it... I liked the choices he made with the world and the mood. As we talked about, it's quite grim. And I thought a lot of the oddities of it worked just because they're so odd and this world is clearly has been run ragged and it is at its end. So even a scene which I think if you read this as a contained novel and you just want it to be coherent and deliver one thing, I don't know. It just feels more like scenes to me. It's, it maybe wouldn't be unsurprising to learn that it was probably short stories that he just cobbled together, mm-hmm. right? Like it does kind of feel that way. Yeah. And I'm just kind of on board for that. It is a little bit aimless though. Yeah. I think it's meant but to be. I did, yeah. Yeah, I sort of like that wayward, just wandering nature of the story. Yeah. So, But it, it does, it just begs so many questions. And it's just clear that it has places to go So <laughs> after the book. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe I will pick it up. It's definitely in, in my mind now where I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I am intrigued enough. Anyway, number four on Goodreads is You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker with a 4.01. So very close, honestly, to Orwell. Yep. And it had only 3,000 reviews, so the fewest of these. Um, any thoughts on that being fourth? Um, That's also my fourth, so yeah. Me too. Yeah, we also aligned with Goodreads on that one. Not the most common thing. Do you want to speak on it then for a minute? What do you think? Yeah, I um, I really liked it for its academic nature, but also Alice Walker. I I read The Color Purple, and so I've I've already enjoyed her work before, and I and I think that she's a wonderful writer, and the way that she portrays women is really interesting, and so reading these short stories for me, it's um. It's a great, it's it's a good study in feminism and her ideas of what feminism or I, I, I believe she called it womanism is specifically. Yes, she does. Um, so I find that fascinating, but also just like even the very first story, which is not as overtly feminist as the other stories. No, I would, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, you can really see in that very first story just how how well she writes and how thoughtfully she writes. And I think that this, even though it is an academic endeavor and that might put people off just, but it's not just her academic writing. It's beautifully written as well. She's very descriptive. She does great character work a lot of the time and Mm -hmm. um, she's tackling themes that are very important to her. And these all are, um, things that work together really well in this collection to show that she is a great writer. And, and, and I did really enjoy reading the stories. Yeah. Probably the best relationship work in any of the things in this set here, mm-hmm. though, you know, tracks is up there as well. Yeah. And in monsters does that, but hers, the 
inner lives of the, the people she writes about and the relationships, a lot of them are romantic relationships, but the complexities therein are, yeah, she plums the depths really well and finds kind of really good perspectives to come out with. So yeah, I, I put it forth. I actually put it all spoil mine, a spiritual tie at five with Churchill and Orwell. Mm. I will say that both of these books hit me the same way and I'm going to put them in the same broad category. And it's this books that I appreciated reading, but imagine that I'll forget. I read if that makes sense. Like in the moment I enjoyed them both and just thought, this is just very solid. I'm learning a lot. I'm thinking about different things. I'm engaging. But, you know, give it 10 years, and I don't know if I'll recall reading either of those. Maybe Good Woman, honestly, just because some of the sex, we got really interesting discussion out of that, and she just does it so subtly, writes about it so subtly, so, and well. But, yeah, I think both just will kind of fade into a hazy memory of, oh, yeah, that was that was good. I liked it, but I can't, you know, don't can't recall specifics, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. They, they both felt that way to me. So that's why Churchill Orwell for me is a fi- at five. But, you know, they're basically tied in that same camp. The number five for Goodreads is Tracks with a 3.94 at 11,000 reviews. It is also tied with The Gunslinger at a 3.94 with 551,000 reviews. <laughs> so different sample sizes on those, for sure. <laughs> and it speaks to King's popularity, of course. No surprise there at all. Uh, you know, to put those together is interesting. Yeah. They have such different ambitions and writing styles. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of look at those together and think, sure, they're they're odd in their own ways. They demand more of a reader, I think, than some of the other books, certainly than Born a Crime, which demands nothing and thinks that you're five years old, by yep. the way, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I just think seeing them together feels weird, but also fitting in a way, mm-hmm. a strange way. Yeah, well, it, it's also a good reminder of how I think again our podcast just thrives in the threes, in the three range. We do, yeah. <laughs> I, I see those two down there, and I'm just thinking, yeah, let's dig. Those are worth digging into. Like those are interesting to me. They're kind of weird, not perfect uh, or imperfect rather, and just have enough meat on the bone to really get us interested. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on those two being down there together? I. I think I understand why Gunslinger is down there because um, people who read King, um, this is kind of different in some ways from... To be fair, it's a good score. It's basically a four. I mean, a 3.9, whatever. Yeah, so we didn't find any... We really have not... Obviously, I don't think we'd ever pick one that would be down in the the dregs or what have you. But anyway, yeah, sorry, keep going. But it's just like it's yeah, yeah, what are you saying? It's 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 the the first in a series and um especially for people who have read the rest of the series um a yeah. lot of people have very strong opinions about the first book. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that it's like lower than the others. Tracks I am very surprised, but I don't know. I guess people, like you said, like people aren't willing to invest the kind of manpower, the brain power that that needs to be put into actually appreciating some of uh, the finer points of this novel. So Pauline's suffering and her turn really makes that novel twist in a way that I could see somebody really bucking against. Mm -hmm. It also has some incredibly intense scenes, one of which is just so strange the the sex scene that she observes which isn't much of a spoiler to say but it 
there are elements of that story that I look back on and think, yeah, if you're if you're reading that alone, just out of pure randomness or just kind of Googled interest, I don't know it. And it also, again, defies typical what we might think of as, you know, typical Native American storytelling or something or stories about Native American experiences. I just don't know if it's going to hit some of the tropes or interests or ideas. So, yeah, I don't know. Seeing it down there didn't shock me. It also made me, again, appreciate our own interests and yeah. taste. <laughs> How about for your number five? And I guess mine as well. So Yeah, um, Churchill and Orwell was my number five. Um, it was it was an interesting read, not to say that it wasn't, and I enjoyed it, and it's a fast read. Um, but it's well, I wanted to read more about Orwell. Um, it was very Churchill-heavy, and mm-hmm. um, even if there were more about Churchill – his his uh, reckless youth <laughs> would have been fun to read about mm-hmm. and, yeah, and yeah. more about actually as well Orwell's own um, time in Spain when he was uh, on the side of the um, was it the the, the communist the right? socialist yeah the socialist mm-hmm. yeah. yeah sorry and um, communist yeah yeah so that that aspect um, I think making that connection more um diving more into that particular connection with their their involvement in the wars that were not world war ii um aligned with with england's world war ii rather i thought i think that would have made it even more compelling for me as a reader yeah it's a brisk and brief book so i think it and it also sets out with such a clear thing that it wants to prove oh yeah for sure you know and it does so it yeah it does not dwell on those background things it uses them it's very perfunctory and for a reason yeah. too so I, I respect that about it as well number six for both of us then yep is born a crime by trevor noah amanda i refuse <laughs> to say another word about this book go ahead and say have have the last word please i beg you on born a crime by trevor noah um some of his humor works like with the hitler story but if you have seen Trevor Noah's comedy, um, especially recently since he's started with um, the Daily, uh, the Daily Show, Daily Show, yeah, yeah, his he can be pretty hard hitting, but sometimes he gets more uh, preachy rather than comedy, and so I think we see that more with this and sometimes also with the humor that he uses in the book it would go well with a live audience but because it's a book it doesn't translate as well sometimes but what really saved it as a book i'm not going to say that i hated this book because of the mom like i i did enjoy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah just how she was portrayed and 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 stuff like that so if this were i Sure, read it. It's 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 a fast read, and you can easily pick it up and put it down. It's a it's like a series of short stories, um, but yeah, it's uh, it wasn't my favorite, and there were a lot of mm. uh, missteps in it. But there were a couple of things that I enjoyed about it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I refuse. Go listen to the episode you recorded <laughs> for "Born a Crime" by Trevor. Now, <laughs> I've said my piece. Any final thoughts on this collection of six books? An odd set, but quite enjoyable. Yeah. I think in, in terms of sets of six, this is the third one we've done. 
might be up there with my favorite. The middle set, I think, with Toni Morrison might be up there too. Yeah, I don't know. that was a good set too because there was also a native sl- speaker with that one too. Mm-hmm. Are we sleeping on the first set too much then? Had the Janesville book, had the the Norse mythology in retrospect now was a, was a little flat, but we, we got some interesting things out of yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Anyway, we're not here to rank those. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day we will, though. We probably should. Anyway. That has been our highlights episodes again on books is technically 13 through 18, but of all the titles we've mentioned throughout the podcast, thanks so much for sticking with us this whole episode and on our book club journey. We have books coming up, which I'm not going to read. Just come back and check the feed. We do books again every week. We post a new episode of a book club, and then every two weeks we recommend the book we're tackling. So just go check out the feed and see what we're reading and join us whenever you are able. Any final words on these, Amanda? Uh, Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Okay. We, again, are on Facebook and Instagram at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. If you can like or review the podcast on whatever platform you're on, we're up on all the major ones anyway, we would appreciate it. As always, spread the word through friends and family and whatnot. Give us away as a free holiday gift. We always encourage that. <laughs> this might be post-holiday by the time this goes yeah. up. <laughs> you know, the... the I don't know. The spirit is there. The spirit's alive. Anyway, um, we thank you so much for listening, and as always... We'll see you between the pages. <laughs>